Good morning, church. My name is Luke Reinbrandt. I had the privilege of serving here at Grace as the high school ministry director from 2016 to 2019, and it was the best. And my wife, Bea, was also on staff as the middle school ministry director, and long before that, she became a believer in this church. So we love Grace Bible Church. It's an exceptional place, a place the Lord has been powerfully working for years and years. The people are warm and authentic and just dive wholeheartedly into the transformation that comes from knowing Jesus and loving and serving his church. My daughter is stressing back there. Speaking of my daughter, it's been wonderful to bring her into this community. Her name is Zoe, and uh, we've been temporarily back in town for a couple of months, and it's just been so great to be reunited with this church family. It still feels like home, and uh, for Zoe to get to be loved by the same people who have loved us so well uh, has been nothing short of incredible, and so thank you. Uh, she is uh, almost eight months old, and she's just an absolute delight. Uh, we are just over the moon. And being a parent is unique because it gives you a kind of vision that you didn't have before, right? You start to see things that other people can't see. You kind of always know what they need. You have this perception, this depth of understanding that you didn't used to have. And I'm sure it's the same for, it would be the same for me with your kids, but um, I don't think other people can see Zoe's uh, moods and stuff the way that, the way that Bea and I can. Right, we we can see that she cries differently. She has different faces for that reflect different needs, and so she cries one way when she's tired, another way when she's hungry, another when she's in pain, or when she just wants to be with her mama. And I've discovered actually, it's interesting that most of her cries means that she would feel better if I ate some ice cream. So it's weird how that works. I don't know why, but. Um, to, other to other people, probably it all kind of looks the same, right? They can't tell the difference between her tired cry and her hungry cry. And as I mentioned, it'd be the same for me with your kids and their moods and their expressions. And here's the point. There's a difference between seeing and understanding. There's a difference between seeing and understanding, right? You and I could be in the same room with your kids, witnessing the same exact behavior, but only one of us would know what was really going on with them, and it wouldn't be me, right? You would see beneath the surface. I may as well be blind. Now, that's true in parenting, but what if I told you that that's true in life, too? What if I told you that there is a lens on the world that we could be missing? What if there's a layer of depth that we are totally blind to? What if we're going through life seeing but not understanding? That's the concept that our passage is going to address this morning, and it's going to point us to where true sight comes from, sight with understanding. And so if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark eight twenty-two, and we'll go through verse 26. First, we're obviously going to look at the passage itself. Um, to get the full picture, though, we're going to need to look at the surrounding context, so we're going to do that next, and then after that, we'll be able to see how the passage really impacts us today. So first, the passage itself, then the surrounding context, and finally, the impact for us today. Before we jump in, though, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us both to understand and to obey your word so that we might become more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Mark 8, 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So Jesus and his disciples come into this town called Bethsaida, and there's a group of people there who have apparently heard the stories about Jesus that have been spreading around the region. Right? They've heard about his authority, his power to heal, and his compassion for the outcasts and the misfits. And one of them is blind, and so they bring him to Jesus, and they beg Jesus to heal him. So Jesus takes him by the hand, and he guides him outside of the village where they can be alone. And he does this for the same reason that after he heals him, he tells them not to go into the village. And it's because he doesn't want to become too popular just as a sort of miracle worker or get thrust into power as a political leader, right? He doesn't want to go viral. He needs time to teach his disciples and to be with them, and he needs to live out his mission his way, right? So that's the reason for the privacy. And once they're outside the village, Jesus spits on his eyes and he touches him, and he asks him if he can see anything. The man says that he sees people like trees walking, whatever that means. And then Jesus touches him again, and he can see everything clearly, right? He's healed. And on the one hand, this is a simple story, right? It shows us the wonderful compassion and power of Jesus who miraculously heals this man who is blind. But on the other hand, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? Right, wh why does the healing seem to happen in two stages? Did Jesus get it wrong the first time? Did he mess up? Right, there's a, a scene in Harry Potter where Ron does the spell to try to turn his pet rat into a water cup. But he does the spell wrong, and so instead of uh, what it's supposed to look like, it becomes like this furry cup with a rat's tail. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to compare Jesus' power to wizardry or anything like that. I'm just saying that's... At first glance, that's kind of how this feels, doesn't it? It kind of feels like he tried to heal the man, but he didn't do it quite right or quite powerfully enough, and so that's why the man's not seen correctly. So what's the deal? Well, anytime we're confused about a passage in the Bible, the best place to start is just to go back and to read it again carefully and to look for any hints as to what might be happening. All right, so let's look. First, Jesus asks the man if he can see anything. Now, I know most of you didn't get up early this morning and read the whole Gospel of Mark, right? But if we had, this might strike us as a little bit odd because usually Jesus' miracles happen immediately and obviously, right? Usually Jesus doesn't have to ask about the result, but here he does. So that's already a clue that there's more going on here. 
right? And then in his answer, the guy says he sees people like trees walking, right? Why trees walking, right? What is it about that description that might help us? Is it that he doesn't see anything? No, he, he says he sees the people, they just don't look like people. So is he still blind or is it that he can't make sense of what he's seeing? Is it that he can't understand? This is the point, right? The point is that he is seeing, right? He can't understand what he's seeing, though. His sight isn't aligned with reality. He's confusing categories, right? As a matter of fact, after Jesus' first touch, the man does regain his sight, right? When he asks if he can see anything, in verse 24, the man says the man looked up. Well, in the Greek there, the word can mean to look up, but can also mean to regain your sight. And I think Mark uses it here in both ways. The man regained his sight, and then he looked up to look around and see what he could see. Right, so the man can see. His eyesight is totally fixed. Right, the problem that's left isn't a physical one. It's not a sensory one. The problem that's left is one of processing, of perception, of understanding. Right, he sees the people. He just confuses them for trees. But then after Jesus' second touch, in verse 25, Mark uses three different words that are more intense. Right, first, where it says he opened his eyes, that word means to, to look intently or to see clearly. And then where it says his sight was restored, it has the sense of, of full healing. Right? He's now functioning properly, his eyes and his mind alike. And then finally, it says he saw everything clearly. And this shows us the completeness of the cure. Right? There's no room for uncertainty left here anymore. Before, there was confusion, there was lack of understanding, but now everything is as it should be. Right? He was looking intently, he was fully restored, he saw everything clearly. Now, does Mark really need all three of those verbs? No, he doesn't. One, one could have done the job, but his exaggerated explanation of the man's clear vision, again, gives us a clue to what this passage is about. Because when we first read it, it kind of seems like the two stages of the healing first went from blindness to blurriness, and then from blurriness to clarity. Right? But now we can see actually the two stages of the man's healing first were of his sight, and then of his perception, his understanding of what he was seeing. So Jesus didn't mess up, right? He wasn't lacking power. He first heals the man from blindness. And then he helps him to see reality as it truly is. Jesus gives him true sight. Okay, but why does Jesus do it like that, right? Doesn't it seem a little bit strange? Couldn't he have just done it all at the same time? Well, probably. But I think there's a good reason he does it this way. And we said earlier that the surrounding context will really help us. And so we're going to look at that next. And this, by the way, is just another great strategy when you're confused about something in the Bible. You can read the sections before and after, and a lot of times it'll shed light on the passages that you're reading. So throughout the first eight chapters of Mark, Jesus has been teaching publicly, and he's been performing miracles that reveal his identity. Right? He's done things to show people that he is 
Yahweh. He's the Lord, the God they've heard about in the Old Testament. Right? And he's done things like walk on water, calm the storm, feed thousands of people in the wilderness with only a few pieces of bread and fish. Right? So time and again, Jesus has done things that God promised to do and that only God could do, and now he's come in the flesh. All of these things prove that he is truly God. And the disciples have been by his side through it all. And they've been amazed, and they know Jesus is special. But if you read closely, especially chapters 4 through 8, you can see that they aren't really getting it. They've failed to recognize who Jesus really is and what he really came to do. And believe it or not, already in the Gospel of Mark, on several occasions, Jesus has used the metaphor of blindness to describe people who don't understand who he is, who he's revealing himself to be. And then right before, right before our passage, there's a crucial scene where Jesus is on a boat with his disciples, and once again, they've shown their lack of understanding. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, do you not yet perceive or understand Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Right, when they come to Bethsaida at the beginning of our passage, they're getting off this boat ride where this conversation happens. Does that seem like a coincidence? Right, is it a coincidence that immediately after Jesus accuses them of having eyes but not seeing, of of not yet perceiving or understanding, that we get this story of Jesus healing a man who is blind? Is it a coincidence that Jesus heals the man's sight and his understanding of reality, the very things Jesus just said that the disciples don't have? Of course it's not a coincidence. Right, Jesus healing the blind man in two stages, again, was not a failure of Jesus. It was meant to teach something to the disciples. And then right after this passage is Peter's famous confession that Jesus is the Christ. Right? So they leave Bethsaida and they head towards Caesarea Philippi and on the way Jesus asks his disciples who people say that he is. And they give a couple answers and then Jesus asks them, "What about you? Who do you say I am?" And Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, says boldly and correctly, you are the Christ. But when Jesus then tells them that he's going to die, Peter doesn't like that. Peter didn't expect that Israel's promised king would come and die and be defeated. He was supposed to do the defeating. And so Peter rebukes Jesus straight up. And Jesus doesn't mince words. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He's saying, Peter, you're seeing things the way man sees them, not the way God does. Your mind isn't right. You're seeing but you're not understanding. You can see that I'm the Christ, but you haven't yet understood what that means. I must go to the cross, but right now you are blind to that reality, like seeing people as trees walking. So let me ask again, is it a coincidence 
that the story of Peter's partial and faulty understanding of Jesus comes right after the healing of the blind man in two stages. No chance. As one scholar puts it, the blind man is now seen. What about the disciples? And so Jesus' healing of the blind is at least on some level meant to tell us something about the disciples' spiritual blindness. Right? We can't miss that. Now we've been talking about blindness, blindness, blindness. The disciples aren't seeing clearly. They aren't understanding. We get it, right? But we have to remember, what are they blind to? Because if we don't remember what they're blind to, it doesn't really do us any good. Well, what have we learned from the context of Mark? We've learned that both before and after our passage, the disciples are blind to the true identity and mission of Jesus. They're blind to the fact that he is the Lord God come in the flesh to die and rise again, to heal their brokenness and to restore their relationship with God. That's what the disciples are blind to. Right, and so here's a quick summary of what we've learned from the passage so far. First of all, it demonstrates Jesus' authority to miraculously heal. Right, at the beginning, the man is blind. At the end, he's not. And second, the story is loaded with symbolism. Right, the healing of the blind man symbolizes the disciples' need to be healed of their spiritual blindness. Right, they've been around Jesus, they've seen what he's done, but they're not yet understanding who he really is and what he really came to do. So do they ever get it? Do they ever understand? They do, but it isn't until they witness and understand the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It isn't until they see Jesus alive after the cross that they begin to understand, that they begin to have faith. Seeing comes from the eyes. Understanding comes from faith. That understanding comes from responding in faith to who Jesus has revealed himself to be. Now, what does all of that mean for us? Well, Mark could have left out the disciples' failures to make them look better, right? But he didn't. He didn't because he wants us to gain true sight too, right? They'll, their failures serve as warnings so that we don't make the same mistakes, right? And the warning is this. If we don't want to see people like trees walking, if we don't want to see the whole world through the wrong lens, if we don't want to go through life seeing but never understanding, if we want true sight, clear sight, we must know Jesus, and we must know him for who he really is. Because Jesus alone gives us true sight. Jesus alone gives us true sight. It's only through our faith in Jesus that our understanding of the world can be healed. It's only through our faith in Jesus that we can see the world as it really is and live a life that matters. There's a, a famous quote by C.S. Lewis that describes this perfectly. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, 
but because by it I see everything else. I think that's so powerful. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Right? He doesn't just see the sun. He recognizes that the sun provides the light needed to see everything else in the world. If we're not seeing the world, seeing our lives, seeing ourselves, seeing those around us through the light of Christ, we're not really seeing at all. We may as well be blind. Right? But our trust in Christ is the sunrise of true life. Once we see who he is, everything else will come into focus. So here are just a, a couple quick examples of how this true sight that Jesus provides changes our outlook on life. All right, without Christ, I see my value as coming from what I accomplish, what I look like, what people think of me, and I constantly have to prove my own worth. But with the true sight that Jesus gives, I understand that my value comes from being united with Christ. And in Christ, I have nothing to lose and nothing to prove because my worth is secure in him. Right? Without Christ, I see fulfillment as being found in worldly success or money or pleasure, and I can never have enough. Right? But through Christ, I understand that fulfillment a fulfilling life is found by responding in joyful obedience to the love and leadership of Christ. Right? Without Christ, I walk into a room and I wonder what people are thinking of me. Right? I wonder if I'm wanted there, but through Christ, I can walk into a room and ask how I can be a blessing to those around me. Without Christ, I see the homeless person on the street as an annoyance I want to try to avoid. Right? But through Christ, I understand that he or she is a human being who deserves the same compassion that Jesus has shown to me. Right? And you could really do this with anything in life, any situation, any decision, because it's by the light of Christ that everything else comes into focus. And what's amazing is that we all have access to this sight in Christ. This sight is offered to everyone. It's offered to you. All it takes is responding in faith to who Jesus has revealed himself to be and he will begin to heal your sight. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're visiting with us for the first time or maybe you're skeptical, I want you to know that God loves you so much he became a human. He died to pay the penalty that you and I owed because of our disobedience to God. And he rose again to heal the brokenness in you and in the world. And once you come to grips with that grace, your eyes will be truly opened for the first time. And there is nothing like it. Those of you here who are Christians, you know exactly what that's like. You know how amazing that is. Right, but I bet there are also many Christians in here thinking, well, I do have faith in what Jesus did for me, but I don't always maintain that kind of sight. I know I feel that way. And if that's you, I want to address you specifically this morning. Right, sometimes, even as Christians, 
we will ignore Jesus, right? We'll blur our own vision with distractions and sin and going our own way, right? We'll use the world's measures of success like Peter did, right? Peter didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. He wanted him to take earthly power. And we too can be driven by power. We can be driven by money and pleasure and reputation and all of these things. We put on these lenses that the world tells us to and they only end up blinding us. And that can be really discouraging. We get frustrated with ourselves and we become ashamed and then our shame just blurs our vision even more. Right? We think that we should be able to do it by our own sheer effort and when we can't, we think we're a failure. Right? If that is ever you, I want to remind you this morning that we actually can't do it. Not on our own. Never on our own. We were never meant to. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, we actually can't do it, but there's one who did. And because he did it on our behalf and in our place, if we believe in him, we will begin to be able to do it too. But only to the degree that we understand what he did for us. See, Jesus himself understood. Jesus had true sight. He saw clearly what must be done. Jesus knew the agony that was awaiting him on the cross. And yet he never gave in to the temptation to avoid it. He never allowed fear to blur his vision. He was single-minded. And because he did it all in our place, knowing that is what gives us the power to see and live rightly too. Because Jesus alone gives us true sight. That is what we must cling to every single day. Every day we have to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us to heal our relationship with him. Jesus did everything for us in his death and resurrection. And he's promised to finish the work he started in us. I want you to imagine this morning Jesus taking you by the hand, as he did with the blind man. And I want you to imagine him bringing you to a quiet place by yourselves and asking you, do you see anything? He's asking this morning, do you see me? Do you, have you responded in faith to who I have revealed myself to be. If you have, then the spirit of Jesus is alive in you, transforming you by his grace. He's healing your spiritual blindness. He's helping you to see and understand the world as it really is, and he's doing it more and more every single day. And the more that you understand that, the more deeply you'll understand what it means for every part of your life. And so as we go through our day, as we go through our week, let's ask ourselves, how does my faith help me to view this day, this situation, or this decision? How does who Jesus is impact what I do here or how I treat this person? And let me warn you, these are not easy questions. These questions don't lead to an easy life. They lead to a cruciform life, a life shaped 
by the cross. But they lead to a life of true sight, a life of understanding, and of more joy than you can possibly imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he set his face to Jerusalem, that he never wavered in going to the cross, that he said the night before he died, Father, not my will, but your be done. And because of his true sight, because of what he did for us, we can have our vision healed as well. Lord, we pray that that truth would sink so deeply into our hearts that it affects everything we do, every interaction, every decision. And that as you do that in us, that the light of Christ would grow brighter and brighter in Laredo. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus.